Welcome to the Glorio Chat, the best anime podcast on the internet. It's 2024. Hope everybody's New Year's off to a good start. Do you guys have any uh, big resolutions or goals or anything uh, for 20, the new year for 2024? Mission objective, survive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, as as the first post pandemic year, twenty twenty four will be uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh. as the third as the third first post pandemic year. Uh-huh. Oh God! Well, oh man. <laughs> I, well, I think for the blog, I'm, I'm going to resolve to just uh, use more clickbait. I think it's time we start doing YouTube reaction face thumbnails on YouTube. You know, work that algorithm. You'll mm-hmm. never believe what they cooked this <laughs> week on Dungeon Meshi, and then you like do the Whoa. YouTube face. Yeah, I'll have my you know, I'll or face reveal. I'll, I'll face that. reveal for that if it, if it gets us more yeah. views. Uh, I mean, yeah. well, you put your face, and then you have the screaming Marcel face of the week. Uh, well, you you have to put you have to put like something suggestive, right? Like oh yeah, yeah, like put sensor know. bars in front of right, right. Uh, Sensitive yeah, fat tits, right? Even uh-huh. yeah, even though it's uh yeah, you know you know, even the though, food like it's Breath of the wild yeah exactly yeah even though it's not like actually anything you know got to get those views man uh, anyway photosh- photoshop like a prison lineup photo of laios for his crimes mm. against humanity uh-huh. <laughs> uh. we we will have uh, plenty of time to talk about dungeon meshi uh, next time but for this episode we need to put a bow on 2023 we need to look back and uh-huh. the rear view mirror Objects are closer about, than they may be. Than, than they may, yeah. may appear. We're going to talk about our top ten anime of twenty twenty three, which has been out for a few days now. So, uh, it's been available in written form, but now we're going to talk about it on the podcast. So, before we do that, let me introduce everybody. I'm Gel. I'm joined by Iro. I'm still here. I'm not dead yet. Still with us in twenty twenty four, and we're joined by G. What's good, everybody? And we are joined by Zig. Space is warped and time is bendable. <laughs> that is oddly appropriate, perhaps, for the beginning of the year. Indeed. But uh, yeah, so our, our top 10 anime, uh, we do a list every year for anybody who is not familiar. We've been doing this now for like 11 years now or something, but uh, we do have everybody vote. And we have like a, a weighted scoring system where everybody submits their list. And based on those those votes, we create a top 10. So uh, it makes for some interesting results where usually uh, we, I feel like typically we have like a pretty uh, solid top five that, you know, maybe doesn't seem too crazy. And then there's a bit of chaos in our bottom five. But ah, that's is, the fun bit. That's the fun in it. You know, the fun of uh, and having everybody sending in their different opinions and things. We also, I, I I felt like this year in particular, we want to highlight, we don't typically vote for shows if they're still continuing on into the next season. So I think many of us probably would have, or possibly would have included a uh, free run in, in our top fives somewhere uh, if, if that were the case, but that is ongoing, still airing into next season. So we'll probably 
have that as a contender for next year. But those are the rules. And this is the list that we ended up with. So uh, I did also want to mention before we get to the actual top 10, there were quite a few anime movies that came out in 2023 that were worth kind of acknowledging. I, I feel like we've shifted over the past couple of years to where these things have become more accessible faster. Like we can actually go and see them in the theater sometimes. I mean, you can. Uh, well, I mean, uh, s- s- some of our other Glorio UK people were also seeing some yeah. of these movies in the theater. Uh, so you know that they're traveling several hundred miles to go to but, a special festival. To yes, see that, right? <laughs> because they are willing to put the uh, put the travel time in. Obviously, but, yeah. like, look, obviously, it is not perfect. But also, what are you going to expect from international film distribution yes. anywhere? But I think what what Jell is, is getting at is that the option. Previously, there was literally no option. Now, options it, are beginning to exist. It's yeah, easier than ever to see anime yes. films in the cinema. And, and I think hopefully with time, like, and especially with a couple of like notable box office like successes, like this becomes more of an encouraged thing going forward for yeah for, for international film goers. I mean, previously you'd have to wait like a year and a half until right you know, the subs appeared somewhere, right? So. Um, I mean, we still so experience yeah. that, right? Like we, yeah. we, you know, with with the less notable stuff, like like uh, the G Reco movies, for example, you mm-hmm. know, aired last year. Most of us watched those movies this year. <laughs> um, so yeah. so it, it definitely is still top loaded, I think, and it's still mostly the biggest names that are getting you know the red carpet treatment. But that's still leagues ahead of where we were even just yeah. five years ago. I think. But- there's also the fact that a lot of stuff comes to streaming services fairly quickly these days. So, like, right. it's even in that case, it's not, a, you know, even if it's not a cinema thing, it's no longer a case of like somebody has to buy a Blu ray and rip it and distribute it, or right, you have right, to yeah. import something or anything like that. Yeah. Like, I think uh, Crunchyroll announced, already announced that they're going to have the Spy Family movie, that kind of thing, right? So, mm-hmm. I mean, they so, yeah, like, I the mean, a movie, for example, right? Yeah. They- so, so just to shout out a couple of the movies, uh, there was, you know, the Kaguya-sama Love is War, The First Kiss That Never Ends, that I, I actually did go see in the theater. I talked about that pretty extensively when it came out. I might link the the episode in the notes, but, you know, we don't have to rehash it, but that that was pretty great. Um, we also talked, we also talked a lot about Gridman Universe yeah. uh, not too long ago, you know, maybe... It- Two, two months ago or something like that on the podcast. Uh, it's only anime adjacent, but you were able to go and see Shin Kamen Rider in a... Uh, God, that was this there. year it was, wasn't yep, it? it was. <laughs> My goodness. I did see Shin Kamen Rider, Hideaki Anno's Shin Kamen Rider uh, in cinemas. Uh, yep. I mean, if we're, if we're including mm-hmm. live action, you know, there was... Godzilla uh, minus one. Yeah, God, Godzilla say. minus one. Yeah, well, a, yeah, a lot, that, that was a pretty... Like, affecting. a lot of people were talking about that, even outside yeah. of the anime yeah. world. But, yeah. Um, so yeah, so, so there were those, uh, Peter wanted me to mention blue giant, which I, this is, I'm sure extremely reductive, but it is a movie about, uh, you know, some guys starting a jazz group or something. It looks jazzy teens. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, they said that was very good. And, um, we, I, I wanted to find time to talk about this, but we didn't get a chance. So, uh, maybe now would be mm-hmm. a good time to mention, uh, the, the, Miyazaki had a movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, that old the, coo- how, 
how do you live or the boy and the heron if you will but uh mm-hmm. and you know i i don't know if you wanted to uh yeah talk about that uh, at all uh I want to avoid as many spoilers as possible in accordance with the marketing campaign, the non-existent marketing campaign of this movie. Um, but uh, I think it's very good. I think it's probably my the best movie Miyazaki has produced in the last twenty years, which is a short list. But yes, which to which to be clear may sound like a great thing until you realize how few movies he's actually made in the last twenty years. I, mean, uh, I believe, uh, like the way the way I had to put it to Eero after we mm-hmm. saw it in theaters was, you know what? I might go as far as say that How Do You Live is the best Miyazaki movie since Spirited Away. Yes, that which is basically <laughs> what I just said, also right? Because uh, the old movies he made since Spirited Away are Howl's Moving Castle, Ponyo, and The Wind Rises. Um, yes, it's it's a short list. I, I, I liked The Wind Rises quite a lot, and I thought that it was a fairly appropriate note for him to end his career on, mm-hmm. so I'm interested to see what what he had to say that brought him back mm-hmm. to the table. I, I would describe this sense. movie as also a like a similarly career-spanning yes. note to end on, yeah, but in I, a, via a completely different vector. Right, right. right. I, I would definitely say, like, you know, again, to, to avoid, like, saying too much about the meat of the film itself, I, I just think that... Um, I, I think no matter what kind of Miyazaki fan you are, because I think, I think there are... <clears throat> For, for better or worse, I think there are different schools of why people like Miyazaki films. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there has been, you know, be, because of the release of this movie, uh, some Ghibli discourse has arisen yet again of, you know, how a certain type of media, especially in the West, will often describe itself as perhaps Ghibli-esque or Ghibli-inspired. <laughs> and how that kind of just means oh we have pastel colors and naturalistic environments Mm -hmm. but have sidestepped any of the often very like preeminent like social messaging right the emotional yes to miyazaki's films right like oh go ahead zig i i was just gonna say on that note um, sort of adjacent to that, but I do think that this is one of the more controversial receptions to a Miyazaki movie I've seen. Just going by word of mouth, I've seen, I've seen people who are broadly positive on it. I've seen some people who are quite negative on it. Um, I think that there's quite a widespread of opinion. Whereas, you know, normally even the people who don't like a Miyazaki movie are like, yeah, it's good. It's just not really my thing. But I've seen quite mm-hmm. a, a wider spread of it. I don't know whether that's because the film itself is more divisive or just because people's palettes have become wider in the 10 odd years since there was last a Miyazaki director right. movie. But it's worthy of noting, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I guess the thing I would say to that is it's it's not, you know, as much as we just mm-hmm. said it's the best Miyazaki movie, in <laughs> years, I, I would not say that this is his best movie. You know, I, I would not say that this is like, you know, this is probably not going to necessarily be up there with the like the the truly cultural heavyweights. You know, your Spirited Away's, your your Nausicaa's, and such, right? Uh, but I, I think the reason it spoke so well to to I think a lot of people is because. As Iroh alluded to, um, this movie is very much about 
closure. You know, <laughs> which makes a certain amount of sense, right? You know, um, it's it's very much about it's, it's very much terms, about like, it, it's very much about legacy, actually. Mm-hmm. Like the the movie is very much about what is the actual inherent meaning of legacy? Does legacy actually have any inherent meaning, or is it something we merely like choose to believe has mm-hmm. any value? Right. And, and and I mean to a certain extent that was also the message of the wind rises, right? It was a right. a message of right. like, you know, people will pervert your work, but as long as your intent was pure, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's not difficult to see how that could apply to Miyazaki. So Yes. It's <laughs> right, interesting right. that perhaps he has chosen to keep on tackling that in I, a in a new dimension. Mm-hmm. I would say that I would say that I would say how do you live is even like more in your face about it than even the wind rises. I think Yes, yes and no, right? It's okay, like fine. all right, all right, all right. You know also, what I mean? Like I think I think one thing uh-huh. we can all agree on is that the boy and the heron is an absolutely <laughs> terrible title. title. It's I so would... like what was wrong with how do you live? Like, I mean, okay, I don't want to like awaken this discourse, but apparently mm-hmm. I-, I looked it up. Uh similar to a dungeon meshy versus delicious in dungeon. Uh, uh this was apparently a mandate from Ghibli. Sure, I believe it. They so. they wanted it to be the boy and the heron for Western markets. Sure. Which I, I think that's a bad decision, but I respect that. I agree. I think it's a bad choice. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we gosh. Uh, apparently they we, we apparently even Japanese creators are self conscious about like how they're perceived by international audiences. Yeah. And they were worried that How Do You Live was too esoteric of a title for uh, right. uh, a stupid pig sure. guy Jin to understand. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Damn. Uh, right. Although but, I don't yeah. know if The Boy and the Heron really tells you much either. but It doesn't. It's it's such a bad um, title. It's a more but, commercial mm. title, I will yeah. say. How Do You Live is a fairly grim title for a film. Um, but yeah. it's perfect for what the movie is about. Right. Uh, you know. <laughs> yes. Look, look. look um, you know, Ghibli is not is not completely immune to doing things for commercial purposes, right? Like it's still a it's still a profit making. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I'll tell you this. You know, spoiler free. Hmm. How do you live? <laughs> definitely has a mascotable thing, a right. thing in the movie where you go, oh, they could make that a mushy of that. Yeah. Is it a so make- well, I will <laughs> you- do not comment on the. That, uh, you can make a four thousand yen plushie to sell at the, at the gift shop of the of the Ghibli Museum. Is it Edward from Twilight? I, can, I, mean, I cannot comment. That's like a several layers deep joke. Uh, at this just, point. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, I I do. You know, <clears throat> the reason I brought up that side about like the discourse about how like Ghibli films are seen, I still think mm-hmm. that like no matter what type of like person you are when it comes to Miyazaki's films, if you have ever appreciated any of his works, right? Even if you're just like a Fairweather Totoro fan, or if you're <laughs> there for the Porco Rossos and, you know, the castle in the skies of the world. Like, I, I do think, I, I truly think, you know, you know mixed, mixed reception aside that How Do You Live slash The Boy and the Heron uh, really is a Miyazaki film worth pursuing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. 
Never, I'd never chance to talk about this before, but because well, we saw it in, in theaters, correct? Oh, and yes. Immediately prior to this movie, uh, there was a trailer for like what DreamWorks or oh, Illumination yeah. or whatever. Yeah, their yeah. their new family friendly animated movie about birds. About, <laughs> oh, about that bird, one. Bird family trying to make it in the world or whatever, and and then <laughs> seeing that insipid trailer immediately for <laughs> Miyazaki's idea of like an animated movie for the whole family starring a bird um is the contrast was com- well, yeah. well for one <laughs> uh that movie migration uh which i looked up uh-huh. um as it's, far it's as i can tell doing way well <laughs> i mean yes of course uh-huh. it is but you know, um, mm-hmm. like like demonstrably better. Of course, of it course. Is. Um, yeah, it's it's a, it's a Western animated film. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what, Migration doesn't have um, <laughs> a bird played by Willem Dafoe <laughs> uh, <laughs> coughing blood. <laughs> so uh, perhaps it's best we leave it. We end. Yeah, it, end I'll it leave it at that. Yeah. Well, I'm Defoe Bird versus Robert Pattinson Bird fight. <laughs> yeah, we'll, 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 you'll have to see the movie to see uh, if that yes. sentence has any bearing whatsoever on the events of the film. These uh, dramatic birds, these talking birds these days. I know. I, I'm coming hot off of watching Sasaki and Peeps, but we'll talk about that next time. Um, mm-hmm. All right. So, hey, movies. There were some good movies this year. We'll see how things go next year, and maybe we'll all have like some other segment for that or something. I don't know, but we'll we'll keep. Keep an eye on that. Anyway, let's get to our top 10. I mean, speaking of birds. Uh huh. Yes. So we're just going to go down the list. You can follow along at home if you want to, well, pull up the show notes or pull up our actual top 10 post, but which you should go read at theglorioblog.com. But we'll start with number 10 The Return of Birdie Wing Golf Girl Story Season mm-hmm. 2. Uh, Despite the fact that we put this on the list, it has to go down as a disappointment. Birdie wing limping across the finish line. Got a a bogey on the last hole. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is this is truly like the epitome of a show coasting on goodwill Mm -hmm. um, to to its destination, right? Yeah. So, so I mean, we 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 talked about this extensively when it was airing, so we don't need to rehash everything. But Mm -hmm. we were a bit disappointed that season two of Birdie Wing kind of got away from the like chaotic underground golf energy we had in season one and i did enjoy the like soap opera melodrama stuff yeah. that we were getting which resulted mm-hmm. in some like absolutely absurd dialogue but yeah, ali's the- mother goes golf is killing everyone i love yeah, to, like, they're, they're- yeah so there's, uh, there's moments um, yeah legitimately some great moments still in the second season you know um Everything with Coach Amaro dying. Uh. <laughs> right. Like, dude literally, like, golfs the perfect golf swing and then just starts coughing blood. Like, mm-hmm. it's... <laughs> it's very good. You get to use his life force. The implication force. that just swinging this, you know, swinging this stick at this little ball is so physi- physically strenuous that, mm-hmm. like, this man is about to drop dead from it. Uh, yeah. Or when um, Eve, like, uses the body for her the, to shot that... You know, if she uses it one more time, it will destroy her body. And so the <laughs> golf club sacrifices itself to save her by taking yes. the brunt of the impact. Yeah. Oh, so, man. <laughs> so shatters there's, there's in still, her hands. Right? There's still some good, good moments, but I, I think overall, you know, it was, it felt. Uh, I mean, it just became much more conventional. 
And yeah. I have heard some rumblings. I don't know how true they are that like the spawn the the golf actual golf company sponsors like pressured oh, them they to watch like, season to one and to make, them to make it more about golf. Rain it in. Yeah. All right. I mean that, that that that's a very convenient like type of rumor that would spread among. I know, right? Yeah, I, I'm not so sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah. I feel fa- I feel fairly confident that nobody of any golf tournament actually watched birdie wing at any point but, <laughs> but, but i will uh, say i mean there is another show on this top 10 list where that that talk of corporate pressure is actually real so hmm. like it can happen I, I i do think maybe in birdie wings case it's probably just that you know i think i think a lot of shows like this they 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 start strong they start with their strongest material right like right. all the wackiest zaniest stuff and then they realize oh shit we're doing 26 episodes of this uh Mm-mm. you know we got to get um, to the actual golf tournament and yeah. introduce all these other characters um, which yeah. they didn't have time I, to develop and yeah i will say just just to stoke the fires of conspiracy a little season 2 mm. way more golf way fewer gunplay makes mm, you think true mm. true true totally. but yeah, I, like, yeah like joking aside i still had a lot of fun with season two of birdie wing it's just kind of they didn't they didn't have they were writing checks that they couldn't cash mm-hmm. in the end right like yeah. it was still fun yeah. we still got a bunch of dumb stuff but like it was disappointing when the final boss was a golf lady rather than you know some sort of evil witch right. or like it's like the escalation Whatever. almost went backwards of like, you know, we start in this insane underground mafia base with the golf, the golf danger room. Yeah, where and you're golfing people, for your life. Right, people getting shot in the head and having their cars shot with rockets and stuff. And then we end with like the regular Nash- international golf tournament. Yay. And you'd think that it's funny because they spend all this time saying like, oh, the... The legitimate golfers on the world scale are far more powerful than a lowly underground golfer. When it's like you'd think, you'd almost think it'd be the opposite because way more money can change hands beneath the table. It's it's right. almost like it's almost like the writers didn't read like literally every single fighting manga ever made, <laughs> where it's like, oh, you're the you're the heavyweight MMA champ. How quaint. You haven't mm-hmm. even fought in the underground arena mm-hmm. yet. You know? right. You've never fought for your life. Yeah. I well. mean, I, I think a particular disappointment for me was the way the Leo Miller Foden plotline just sort of fizzled out. Like, if he yeah. just arrives with his new, give him, yeah. you know, give him, give him a big climax to die on or something like mm-hmm. that. You know. Yeah, he kind of just he's turned into a good guy. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, despite our our negative energy at the moment, mm-hmm. it Birdie Wing is still fun. I think if you watched it as an entire package, now it would be a right. fun show. And I think I'm glad it snuck in here at number ten. So yeah, give it its due. Yeah. All right. So the next two shows none of us have watched. <laughs> uh, I I will I will direct everyone to please go to theglorialblog.com and read our top 10 post where you can hear or read uh, Yuri and Artemis talk about these shows because they actually watched it. I will this do my best. One with having like 10 people on staff. Yeah, I, I will do my best to kind of give a little brief summary here just so everyone knows what we're talking about. But at number nine, we have Blue Lock. Somehow Yuri has become our soccer anime expert, and there are many soccer anime out there, folks. Uh, we have not mm-hmm. really been covering them, but... Um, 
this this to me sounds like the best one and it is the only one that has ever made our list so uh this is apparently a soccer battle royale so uh 300 300 boys are uh are put into this experimental program to get the best uh striker for the japan national team Wait, I think I saw this happen in Kamen Rider Gaim ten years ago. They have to, uh, <laughs> they have to compete. Uh, whoever wins will make the national team, and anybody that loses is banned from joining the national team forever. Huh. Okay. And uh, and they're all strikers, I guess. Yeah, because like from what I from what I was reading and watching the trailers and stuff, it's like you know, throw out all that team concept nonsense you've been mm-hmm. learning as a kid. You know, now you got to be selfish and be the best, and you got to have a huge ego and to be a striker, right? And, so so uh, I, I assume this is closer to the like Prince of Tennis style. Well, sports that's the thing. So where from they what have special moves compared to like I don't know ping pong, where it's so I don't think that's the case. Okay, what, what Yuri said in his write up, and I will quote: uh, "They're walking an interesting line between realistic and absurd, constantly opting for plausible but unlikely. So it's kind of like <laughs> okay, they Those are striking. Shot. They're striking. Well, I think he's saying they're striking the balance between you know typically sports anime are either the more realistic, grounded type, or they're the what you're talking about. Iro, everybody's yeah. got superpowers, right? And mm-hmm. it seems like they're not quite going that far." To me, I get the impression watching the from what I've seen on the trailers and things that it's the absurdity is coming more from like the drama than the right, actual okay. powers that they have or whatever. Right, they're taking I mean, deadly seriously. Something uh, I did not notice in the key art that when I was pulling that up from hmm. the post, I, I didn't realize later. Like all the boys have like chains around their necks. <laughs> right. Oh, okay. <laughs> like I, I, I didn't even notice that until like way later. I'm like, oh wait, that's ridiculous i I don't and i don't know if that's color or figurative but if you get a red card your head explodes yeah no i I don't think well i don't think they're dying they're but the the, you know it might as well feel like it's life and death right Mm -hmm. yeah i will say this is one of those sports mangas that has a significant crossover female fandom of course right i mean that is in many ways that is that is modern sports anime right and yeah in, in the I same way that, uh, no, like, yeah, like, like in the same way that a lot of men become fans of like you know your your precures and magical girl shows because of their all female casts, right? It's like you put a bunch of like hot athletic dudes into a room, and it's like I mean, it's it's not mm-hmm. only young boys that are gonna want to like watch a show like that. Yeah, so uh, I will say, you know. Y- y'all are talking about ah you know plausible but unlikely and you know maybe it's just a metaphor but i will say like the only thing i really know about blue lock is just that like some kid just has fucking crosshairs for eyes <laughs> all right can you like, like, I, think it's a, yeah. I think it's a i think it's a metaphor for how uh, accurate his, his kicking is of course yeah. like, <laughs> so. Right. <laughs> so anyway again go go read go read the post for for Yuri's opinion on it, but um, that sounds pretty fun. So, uh, as for uh, number eight, my happy marriage. I actually did watch the first episode of this when it came out, so I have mm-hmm. some feel for the mood of this. But uh, it's kind of like a it's kind of like a Cinderella story type thing. It's set in the, like the Taisho era, which is mm-hmm. interesting. We don't see that quite as much as some of the other periods and there's this there's this uh, girl who's you know dealing with her evil stepmom and stepsister and they decide to marry her off 
to this guy who has a reputation for being particularly cruel or whatever. And mm-hmm. um, but he's actually nice. Yeah, I don't know if I would qu- right, quite yeah. use the word nice, but he is definitely not what mm-hmm. people have made him out to be, and she ends up mm-hmm. having a more uh, uh, a much better life, you know, with him and his staff than you know what she was dealing with with her her right. stepmother and stepsister. Mm-hmm. Right. And- I think um, reading Artemis's comments on this, I think that this has a lot of the hallmarks of a classic kind of lower end of the top ten. Uh, show which is that it's not especially an like a unique or interesting premise but that it's a familiar idea but done well with a lot of charm a lot of warmth you know and it's it's sounds like it's a nice spin on an existing idea if that makes sense yeah mm-hmm. um and it, it is you know like i said i watched the first episode and I'll, uh, one more I'll add, there are some like supernatural elements to it which right. i don't really remember have, from like, magic right I don't really remember that from the first episode. Maybe it didn't come up then, but I, there, that is in there to add a little extra flavor to it. Um, it it's a very nice looking show. Like uh, it, you know, I, 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 I like the Taisho era look a lot and yeah. you know, the, color, the, the, the art, the direction, everything is really nice. Um, they, they, I think it was, I think this was on Netflix. They had that Netflix money. Mm-hmm. So um, okay. it looks pretty nice. You know, the production values were good. Uh, I didn't continue watching it because I, 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 you know, it was a little, at least the intro was a little cliche. Um, mm-hmm. And also I probably had a lot of other things watching. I was watching, but the, you know, it, I, I, I did, I did, I did kind of enjoy the first episode though. Like it was, it was, it was a nice first episode. And, um, you know, from what Artemis has said in her post, it seems like, you know, they managed to put out a consistently good series after that. But once right. again, go read, go read the post at the mm-hmm. And you can see what Artemis <laughs> had to say on that for the, uh, the full details. Okay. Okay. Uh, at number seven, we have a uh, spy family season two. And I reliably I, excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mm-hmm. feel like now that season two is over, if I have one criticism before we get into the good stuff, <laughs> and maybe and maybe perhaps why this is not higher on our list, uh, I feel like outside of the boat arc, the 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 rest of the which the boat arc was what maybe like five episodes or something, I something like that, yeah. I feel like the rest of the season was like even more fillery than usual, which I know for spy family mm. is not a bad thing, but I, like there were, I, I think I said this before. There were a lot of insert song montages. <laughs> like that was yeah, just like of, literally, it kind of felt like they were space. running in place for a lot. Of yeah. Them, you know? And I, 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 like, as if they, they wanted, they wanted to get their, their big arc off before the movie, which they did. And the, and the, and the boat arc was good. Um, and it's not, and you know, it's not like the rest of it was bad, but it just, it did not invoke any like really strong opinions for me. And perhaps maybe that's why this show is at number seven, even though it's, you know, really solid and everybody watched it. Um, You know, nobody was voting for spy family at, you know, in their, you know, number one or number two. It's very consistent. That said, you know, it's, it's, it's like, you know, your comfort anime, it's a warm blanket. 
it'll always be there for you and it won't let you down um <laughs> you yeah. know uh the, the uh, i i will have one strong opinion on it which is that masaki yuasa opening is one of the best ever it's so <laughs> good it's a good one it's good yeah it is it is very good um the, the spy family is fully entering the era of just these OPs have basically nothing to do with the plot <laughs> uh-huh. of the season they're covering. It's just what it's if fine. what it's if fine. we just did a cool thing? Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. The the plot's not really that important, yeah. right? Like, yeah. But um, I think there was some terrific. Uh, you know, we talk about how the season was mostly vignette, but some of those vignettes were outstanding. Yes. Like the, um, the Becky wants to marry Lloyd episode <laughs> is incredible, where Anya yeah. just sells her, her family out in seconds. Yeah, that, that was waited on by world class chefs. Yeah, we did. We did get a chance to talk about that one, and that was a surprisingly great segment. Um, but then you know you get the ones with like Yuri and all that, which I could care less about. But you know, it, it, I, we all if there's one thing we will all always agree on is the uh, Anya is the best, and uh, <laughs> you know that that helps a lot but um but yeah spy family still good continues to be good the movie's coming out soon i'm sure and i will be absolutely shocked if we don't see another season at some point i don't think they've announced anything yet but i mean they end season two with the usual see you next mission or whatever right like it's gonna happen at some point yeah and you know we'll all watch it and enjoy it so Okay. Yeah. At number six, we have Skip and Loafer, which I'm glad the show made this list because I feel like my opinion of it has only improved over time. And believe it or not, I did not vote for this show. (laughs) (laughs) There were quite a few of us that did enjoy it. I I was on the fence on on voting for it, but Mm -hmm. it did make our list uh, and uh, to refresh everybody's memory skip and loafer is it's like a school comedy thing about this girl who uh lives out in the in i I don't i'm hesitant to say the country but more rural japan the inaka yeah she she's very ambitious and like wants to get into like politics and stuff and she decides to go to high school and in you know in tokyo in the big city right and there's a little bit of culture shock and but she she you know meets this uh good looking dude who helps her out and he's kind of super chill and it's really centered around their relationship of you know with her being you know very ambitious and energetic and him kind of being super chill and Mm -hmm. they surround them with a nice cast of you know just generally well-rounded characters um i think this is definitely a show that's hard to describe in words why this is not just like another school show right right and i do feel like as time has gone on and i've watched more school shows i'm like (laughs) i've come to appreciate more how like fairly unique skip and loafer is and i think it is because you know the, the characters are great they're not like cardboard cut out i have my one thing and i'm gonna do my one thing every episode mm-hmm. you know they have they have good and bad moods they they have disagreements like there's like you know it sounds like there's a bit more meat to the narrative than a lot of uh school yeah. shows as well yeah which i think i think that's important i mean again it is mostly a show 
you know, this is this is my genre of nice people being nice to each other. I would still yeah. put it in that Your healing genre. shows. Yeah, because like even even the most like intense conflicts are not like you know that dramatic or anything. So um, I would still broadly put it in that category. But I think mm-hmm. the 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 quality of the characters and the writing and the relationships, the friendship between the two main characters is um, really great. How that develops. And um, I think that's a strong point. And then the other thing I would say is the these types of shows a lot of times end up being kind of really slow and low energy and kind of dry sometimes, which is an acquired taste at best. (laughs) (laughs) And this show is not that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, It's driven by the main girl, you know, being very high, kind of high energy and ambitious but not like in the obnoxious like Yankee girl sort of way but right like, I was just I was, in the way that young people tend to be I was gonna uh, say yeah. like often when you have like in the energetic girl uh sort of setup in an anime it's you know the manic pixie dream girl who's d- dragging around the uh chill male guy male protagonist uh the whole time but yeah. like this show is mostly from her perspective right yes so and in, in mm-hmm. fact uh, the main guy is the one character that we kind of never hear his inner monologue. Everybody else, so he's kind mm-hmm. of a mystery, actually. But the yeah, it is more focused on her perspective and her, with her kind of driving the story. Like it doesn't feel like it ever. It's it feels like fast paced and ener- like energetic, uh, which right. is also pretty unique for this type of genre. But, I, um, I remember really enjoying the first episode, but that was during the season where everything was airing. Yes, it was so, one of the good seasons, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> we had two good seasons and two two bad seasons this year, mm-hmm. and that was one of the good seasons. But yeah, it, it was really good. And ultimately, like I, the, the the I think the, the the maybe the biggest thing for me is like I, I like that it 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 explores like you know relationships, friendships, things in a very earnest sort of sweet way but i don't feel like the show is ever like too like naive about you know power of friendship overcomes everything and you know once your problems are solved and they're never going to come back you know mm-hmm. those the, that that sort of like you know naive sort of uh right pandering <laughs> type of uh you know attitude that a lot of the show's take those kinds of shows take oversimplifying people's problems and all that. Like, I feel like it's a, it's a much more nuanced approach to it. So mm-hmm. that's as probably as much as I can say without and trying to explain why this show is better than your typical show in this genre, but really you should just check it out. It's also just beautiful. It's PA works, you know, they make yeah. stuff look good. Uh, they, as far as I can tell, they don't, they don't live by the sea, but it is sort of a, <laughs> uh, pastel color sort of look. Uh, very well animated. It looks great. And um, just a really, really fun show to watch. A really enjoyable show. So. Okay. Okay. So now we're getting to our top five. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are the, these are the, uh, the heavy hitters here um, with perhaps our, our, perhaps a surprise entry. Although to me That's and Zig, so. to me and Zig, not a surprise, but. Uh, if you if you watched it, but we have at number five, Miggy and Dolly, which so, just wrapped up 
no, I'm going to put my it. cards on the table and say this was my anime of the year. I put this at number one. Uh, yeah, and it, oh no, go on, Joe. Yeah, and I would say there are years we've had in the Gloria blog where this might have also been my number one. I did not vote at number one this year, but it's 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 that level of quality. Yeah. And it, just just for the quick recap again for the shows that are not season two years, and if anybody hasn't been listening to the podcast, the this is a show. Uh, it is by the author of Haven't You Heard I'm Sakamoto, but this is a very different show. It's a very it has, stri- it has some of the energy. Yeah, I think the sense of humor the sense of humor is very similar, but the show itself is a much broader scope. I think. Yeah, it is about these twin boys. Their, their mother was killed years ago. They've been living in an orphanage and they, they get adopted into this uh, by this family who live in this perfect small town. And they, they are posing as, as one, one, uh, one person basically. One and their perfect goal, boy. Yes. One perfect boy. And their goal is to investigate this perfect town and find out who killed their mother so that they can get revenge. And it kind of sets up this very just, great mix of humor and it, but it's also kind of creepy uh, sometimes uh, almost a little bit of a, like a, uh, you know, I think we've mentioned like Stepford wives style horror. Yeah. Like <laughs> there's definitely like a bit of like David Lynch stuff in there as well. You know, kind of like the, they do directly reference, they directly yeah. reference twin peaks yeah. several times. Uh, so it kind of has similar, I mean, like Japanese media loves referencing Twin Peaks, though. Yeah, and I think we were—I think Zig—we were both kind of on edge the entire time watching. Like, are they going to mess this up? Because this is very easy to mess up. (laughs) I think think they kind of don't. They they don't. don't. And I think there are two things which which contribute to that. The first thing is they never. There is they. They take their own premise utterly seriously, you know, even though incredibly insane things are happening. <laughs> yes. Nobody ever looks at the camera and winks metaphorically, you yes. know. So the silly things are not swept under the carpet. They are established to have happened, and the silly things serve the dramatic things, and the dramatic things serve the silly things. Does that make sense? Like, yes. every, everything is sort of wrapped under a banner and played super straight, and so that's how it can continue to be kind of like, this is a story about hunting a murderer, but also we mentally regress these children into babies and put them in cribs and all this other stuff. The second thing is, and I think this is what really tipped it over the edge to anime of the year for me, is that towards the end, it kind of gets even darker because um, yes. I, I think I've heard some criticism of it that the mystery aspect is not actually much of a mystery. And I think that's a fair cop. There's not really, you know, it is not really a who done it in the major sense guess what the most suspicious party is to blame yeah i think i I mentioned that last time how it was like they kind of took the path of least resistance with the mystery part right so but yeah but what they do at the end is it actually becomes kind of an amazingly heartfelt like reflection on family and the difficulty of expectation and like sort of a critique of the whole idea of this perfect society wrapped up in some very, very dark and dramatic personal themes, you know? Yeah. Um, 
And it works incredibly well, even though the show has mostly been like an insane goof fest. Like they they commit to the bit and it works so well. And I think that's what tipped it over for me is that we were we were all along, we were nervous about whether they'd stick the landing, and they sticked the landing by just moving into an almost an entirely different genre altogether. And it works incredibly. And I'm I'm shocked. I'm still shocked that it works as well as it does. Like it becomes yeah. a serious drama and yeah. And it actually works. Yeah. Um, it, it, it works incredibly well. Like there are really emotional bits in that, those last couple of episodes, you know, you feel shock, you feel sadness, you feel scared, you feel hopeful, you know, all of that stuff, it comes through really powerfully. Yeah. I think, you know, and, and, you know, to that point, like one of my biggest, fears in the beginning of the show was is this just going to be you know silly you know when they were like in the first couple of episodes when they were doing the really silly stuff like you know when they were you know uh you know climbing on their adopted dad's back and doing backflips yes. the switch and all that so like is this just going to be like a goofy comedy or whatever are they are they going to commit to the darker elements of this i'm like oh, oh they do <laughs> in a way that i was like, like, like double down yeah into even even further than i was expecting and they they turn it into something that just you know cashes in everything that they were doing yeah. up to that point. It's it's really great, but um, it's also still incredibly goofy and funny. Like, yes, but then they can so... still sneak in like, let's say, just say ghosts. I will broadly say like yeah, magic <laughs> magic ghosts, magic ghosts. Like, like they can slip that in. Like yeah, all right, that works. Yeah. <laughs> and so it is great. And then, like you know, just um, yeah, I don't know, like. Bird, bird guy for like bro of the year honestly like yeah. the most the most reasonable and well-adjusted person in that show is the dude who like has a fetish for dressing up as a bird it's it's honestly yes. incredible yeah and i think i think what made me pick it for anime of the year is that it is so different it's so interesting and brave and such a unique way of telling a story that I've not seen before and I like to reward that you know I think it's not a perfect show you know there are inconsistencies you know I think sometimes they struggle to marshal the tones together you know but I think the highs are so high and they get there in such a unique way that that it's worthy of of recognition you know and I love being surprised I always yeah. say every season there's something that surprises us, and this was the surprise of the year for me. Yeah, there's definitely it does not feel like any other anime, and really almost any other thing, like regardless of anime yeah. that I've watched. Like it, like they, they are not playing into any like you know the anime cliche stereotype things that almost every anime does at some point, even the most in, like in fact creative most, like shows you yeah. know dip into that at some point, and I, you don't get any of that here, right? And in fact, although they start the show playing the creepy twins thing to the hilt, they kind of deconstruct it over the course of the show to the point where like the ending is mostly centered around the twins finding themselves as like individual human beings. And, right. That's that's and, their path of yeah, progression, right? Character you know, I, I think it's I think anybody who who likes anime should give it a go, you know, because I think it is such a such an interesting idea such an interesting story that would be such a hard sell in almost any other medium that um yeah i i, I just you know i can't say enough good things about it i think it's tremendous 
Yeah, you know, I really want good. people to go out and watch it. Yeah, um, I'll just I'll just finish with we didn't we didn't get a chance to talk about because of the timing the the last episode and yeah. um again just the the ending they they really nailed the ending the epilogue was great in tying up all the stories uh, you know one was, of the one of the very few time skip forwards epilogues that's actually worth a damn in my opinion. <laughs> yes um, uh, it, I think. It was, uh, sorry, may I say one more thing? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, spoilers, obviously, but I think the very best moment of that final episode is where the parents are like, they don't even have to say it out loud, but where the show is like, actually, we knew all along. We're not stupid. Yes. Like, we knew. Yes. Um, and they, they don't actually have anybody say, oh, we knew. They They imply, they suggest, and it's a great heartwarming moment. Yeah. You know? To, it, it's a great way of showing their unconditional love for these boys, right? Yeah. Like without having to, you know, over traumatize it or anything. Yeah, it would... it's a great moment, and that um, um, the match shot on the train platform as well is a really cleverly done bit, which I think is really good. I, I thought you were going to say the best moment was the glow up for Beaver Kid, but um, that's uh, that was hilarious. But yes, I mean, look, Beaver Kid secretly also a bro. Um, yes. Uh, possibly the MVP of the, uh, the final episode, but, um, yeah. So I, and, and, you know, the ending was kind of bittersweet cause they, they do pay tribute to the author Nami Sano, yeah. who of course passed away earlier in the year. So, um, there, there was the bit, I, I don't know how, I don't know if that was in the source material or what, but there was the bit where they like go to the, the grave to, and or their mother's grave. And, and, you know, AG gives his speech about, you know, he'll say, he, you know what he'll say to his mother when he sees her again and it's kind of echoed some of her last words before she passed away and it was like very bittersweet kind of tribute to her but and they they had the they had the actual you know in memory of thing at the end for her too so that 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 is you know kind of sad cuz just you know seeing the jump from her previous work to this you know I'd be re- I would have been really excited to see yeah. what she was going to be doing in the future and yeah just you know. just the creativity involved it um yeah, it is bittersweet, you know. But yeah, but, we, um, we did get this, and it's, it's it was really great. Yeah, so absolutely. All right, let's get into number four. And at number four, we have Heavenly Delusion. Uh, this is. Man, how do you even sum up the premise of Heavenly Delusion? I mean, uh, it is... <laughs> it's, it's a post-apocalyptic road trip survival story. Yeah, with, at, with a, with a uh, bit of a mystery thrown in. Yeah, at you its know, base it's like level, the Lost Boss. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess it's a combination of that, and they kind of introduce the other side of the story right. with yeah. what's going on with the mysterious, like futuristic children's institute. Yeah, thing. weird pod people stuff. So yeah. that's it's it's kind of like two stories they introduce in the beginning, then we kind of see how they tie together later. Um, this show, I think, would have had a strong chance at number one if not for. Th- <laughs> A big this mistake show, at the end, like, which we, we don't have to it, get fully into that no, at the moment. We, we can talk about we've, that we've later. We've talked so many yeah. times. Winner uh, of the biggest foot in the mouth of yeah. uh, And I guess maybe yeah. if we want to like try to like still highlight, I mean, this show is still number four, you know, on this list. Yes. I think because yeah, like I think I think Aqua like puts it really well in in their write up for uh, this top ten. Right, that I think 
Like, in many ways, the reason why, you know, we have our feelings about how Heavenly Delusion wraps up is because, you know, unlike a lot of other, unlike other post-apocalyptic stories. <laughs> yes. But in all seriousness, right? Like, you compare Heavenly Delusion to, uh, let's see, what, what were Aqua's frames of reference? Uh, the Road, The Walking Dead, The Last of Us. Mm-hmm. Like, post-apocalypse is often, uh, I would say modern post-apocalypse, right? So we're not including stuff like Mad Max. Um, like, like, modern post-apocalypse is usually very like has a very like nihilistic misanthropic take on humanity right right like, the only other humans you're meeting are like bandits trying to rob you like yes the real and, monsters are human exactly yeah. exactly that bullshit right and i think heavenly delusion like does such a great job of imbuing its apocalypse with so much humanity mm. um like yeah. every vignettes right every place they visit every traveler they meet is like such a fascinating character character study unto themselves you know obviously we all oh go ahead i was just gonna say i want to clarify that doesn't mean that like this is a happy-go-lucky apocalypse it means that there is it means that there is bad and good stuff right you know there is a balance of elements some people are horrible bastards in heavenly delusion Mm -hmm. you know some people are pieces of shit but there's also people who are genuinely good there are people who are caught in a bad situation there's people who you know might have been good once there's it scales along the whole like human experience right. rather than and, just everybody being a cutthroat bastard and i think it expertly leverages its apocalyptic like background to like wring that out of each character right like yeah you know like obviously the highlight for i think many of us is probably like the dr usami um like mm-hmm. mini arc right the i mean best single episode of the year episode probably eight, yes yeah. it's it's yeah, but like I think all the ep- like almost all of the episodes like do such a great like you know obviously shout outs also to the Kai Ikarashi episode with the mm-hmm. um, yes the 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 men who uh, were the livestock men right it's yes. like the like I like I think of that episode actually even more than maybe because I mean I I love like Doctor the Doctor Usami episode is like an emotional like climax but it's a classic tearjerker episode I I, I actually right. really love the livestock men like episode just because of like how fucking it's a real long. dark twist it like is, yeah like oh yeah the en- like, the ending of that episode yeah yeah mm-hmm. and just like yeah. <laughs> like on some level you can't even blame the dude like the, the 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 just the inherent inability of man to forgive his fellow man right it's it's mm-hmm. it's such yeah i mean that's the yeah, kind of thing we're talking about when, when we're talking about sort of the more uh, seeing a multiple sides of the human condition yeah. not the good and the bad right that's, and, it's definitely one of the darkest moments in the show but it feels dark with context you know? exactly that's, we, that's mm-hmm. we don't necessarily sympathize with the murderer but we do have some understanding of why he might do that right and i mean really i mean i'm, I'm saying this to kind of reinforce that point of like the show's biggest failure is when they do dive into like the completely yes. into the yeah like cruelty aspect my first my first fucking bitch ass storytelling (laughs) show this guy is just uh, absolutely garbage that's the thing i think heavenly delusion when it stumbles is when it resembles the most like the last of us or the walking dead where it just feels like it is like grim you know humanity's evil for evil's sake right like just ah humans Mm -hmm. really are bastards in the end right and 
and you know i i said in i said in my end of year piece but like that's kind of like it's like poisoning a well right everything yes. that springs forth from that is then tainted because now we have to you know now we have 22 minutes to justify this incredible horrible life-changing yes. experience and also wrap up the show and send our heroes on the way with it, a smile it was so, it was uh, yeah. uh-huh. Yeah. It's, a, it's unfortunate. Sure, found itself in a rust. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it, it's unfortunate um, because I mean it's a big enough mistake where you have to put an asterisk on recommend yeah, to somebody, right? But, and that's even like everything up until then is yeah so good, right? I think we I should guess... also note that this show looked incredible. Yes, like just absolutely stunning looking show. Like, yeah, uh, I, I think production IG did some amazing work here. I think their choice of like getting a lot of different directors for the episodes worked out very strongly in their favor i think yeah. like it, it, mm-hmm. it fits like heavenly delusions feeling of like a new day new adventure sort of uh sort of a, yeah a theming. yeah because um, that, that doesn't always work when you do that oh mm-hmm. no definitely not, <laughs> not, <laughs> it, not it does always. work here yeah um, yeah just like i don't know like they're yeah yeah the 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 watercolor like with digital touch-up backgrounds it's yeah, what a what a great two D two D monsters. The, uh, the, yeah, two D um, monsters. Yep. No CG, no CG. Horrible. CG. The uh, uh, dive into the mind sequence in oh, episode mm-hmm. eight is yeah. where it goes into like streaky watercolor. Is uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's even, even just even just like the little things of injecting like life and personality into yeah. what is normally a very yeah. brown and gray, dull right. looking setting, right? Mm-hmm. Like, little character tip and stuff. Yeah, I, I don't think Maru and Kiriko would not have been nearly as personable as they are if not just for like all the little human motions they do throughout yeah. the show. Uh, all they the somehow managed to have dumb anime faces in this show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, so I think, I mean, like if I'm being like, and I guess as someone who is still reading the manga, I mean, I'll say this, right? The events of the story do not make me drop the story, so it I guess maybe I don't know if that speaks to its merit or what have you, but I, I guess if I'm being generous, I think the thing I would say about a heavenly delusion is like, you know, you probably want to go into it with like a similar mindset as you might approach a Maiden Abyss, perhaps. Like this, right. I, I, I do think it is a story with still legitimate merit. I think it still has some really fascinating and compelling things to say. I, I guess you just have to also have, you know, the prepare yourself, the, the, right. the stomach for it. Yes. Yes. Prepare yourself accordingly. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever see another season of it. I have no idea how well this did. It felt, I didn't feel like I didn't see a lot of people talking I mean, about it, but it, um, it got Hulu'd, right? It, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, kind of an automatic it, strike against it. It may have been a weekly release, thankfully, but yeah, um, and I think it was weird on Hulu because I was as I was watching it on Hulu. I think they actually like split up the English dub and the and the the subtitled version. So I don't know if that affects like <laughs> how they're counting the numbers or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, that's just inefficient from like a bandwidth perspective. Yeah, yeah, it was it was whatever. But um, nevertheless. It, it it's a really it's a really great show with that one asterisk on it and um i think it's definitely worth watching if you're able to you know deal with yeah. deal with that so okay 
at number three. Mm-hmm. I am shocked by this. Let's talk about Pluto. I, I, I am also somewhat shocked by this, though. I, I, well, I was shocked by this upon seeing the ranking. Upon taking a step back, I can sort of under, understand. <laughs> yeah, I, I. So, um, like, I have mm-hmm. a, I have a theory as well, which kind of ties into my long-running feelings about the manga, but I think we should talk about how good the show is. First. Yeah, sure, so, of course, of course. so, you know, Pluto, of course, being the adaptation of the manga, which is an adaptation of the Astro Boy <laughs> manga arc, uh, The Greatest Robot on Earth, which I did read after watching, which was pretty great. Uh, One million horsepower. <laughs> yes, it, it was pretty great seeing, like, what made it and what didn't into the yes. what is it Pluto, like just but... reading have you if you've ever just wanted to know what it's like to read the conception of the battle shonen genre <laughs> i know right yeah <laughs> read and, the and original osamu tezuka the greatest robot on earth arc. both the both both the battle shonen genre and mega man yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Re- read the greatest robot on earth but anyway pluto of course is they more it, it's it's based on that but it's more sort of like detective film noir inspired type of take on it right i mean the cliche is that it's a grown-up adult version of the story Mm -hmm. yeah it focuses less on slam bang fighting and more on kind of like the moral and ethical repercussions yeah and um you know we've talked about it quite a bit recently on the podcast since it was just last season but yeah um yeah it's it's one of the best takes on the you know exploring the human condition through robots which you know gets done a lot but i feel like this is one of the best versions of it uh you mm-hmm. know with with all the different uh you know characters that you know the different robots that we meet each one kind of brings a different aspect to it and kind of the conclusions we come to with you know through dr tenma and 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 pluto pluto itself yep it's uh Abdullah. yeah it's really great yeah yeah i uh, i i think oh. sorry g may i um I'll go, go i ahead. think i think one of the reasons why it's so great is that urasawa is a master storyteller obviously he's superb but i think that there's a surprising amount of darkness in the source material as well you know like tetsuka's work didn't necessarily um, explore a lot of the things that he wove into his universe, but he planted the seeds there and that let somebody really skilled like Urasawa come along and sort of like build on that skeleton to create this very deep, interesting mythology around the story. Like, I don't, I don't think you get Pluto, like, you know, we've said it a million times, but you don't get Pluto without Osama Tezuka. Mm Mm-hmm like, being cognizant of these concepts, you know, when he wrote Astro Boy. Like, I... I, Like, in many ways, right, like, the only reason they're not more prominent in his work is simply because the the medium itself was so much more (laughs) nascent at the time, right? Like, it it was still fundamentally, like, a medium designed for children. And, and I mean, without wishing to divert too far, I think you see that in Tetsuka's career as he grew older and like his works became more adult, more sophisticated towards right. the end of his life. I mean, 
even within Astro Boy itself, right? Like, I have seen that, you know, there are storylines about segregation in that manga. So mm-hmm. it's certainly... Every ending of Astro Boy has him dying, so... <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I think, like, Tezuka, having always been cognizant of those ideas and concepts, mm-hmm. like, allows Urasawa to, like, like, just further, like, explore the depths of humanity that w- were always there, and... Yeah, I, I, it's wild that, again, you know, Pluto, 2003, two years after 9-11, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I still think Pluto is the high mark of the AI personhood story. Like, look, I, I love me a near automata, I really do, but like, P- Pluto is, like, the one. <laughs> and, I think it deserves to be held among the highest lights of the genre, so. Yeah, and... I guess maybe, it, you know, it's cool that an anime was able to get close to replicating, I think, the magnitude of that story. I think that the anime enhances the story in some regards and falls short in others. You and know, maybe I... that is why it's here instead of, mm-hmm. like, the obvious number one spot, right? Is like, I think on some level... We all kind of knew in our heart of hearts. Can you actually adapt Pluto into an anime? <laughs> I think they and did as good a job as anybody could possibly do. That is how I feel. I think, yeah. like, I don't. I would not hold it against anybody. You know, <laughs> there are people on this in this mm. podcast included for whom, like, the Pluto anime is how they like con- consume this story. Like, it is a very capable retelling of that retelling <laughs> of that original story. Um, but I, it is what it is, I'm, right? Yeah, like, yeah. No, no, I was about done. It's just it, it, yeah, it, yeah. it's it is hard to replicate Naoki Urasawa's art, even like even given all the budget in the world, like his specific like knack for line and gesture, his ability to like evoke the subtlest emotions in a character's expressions, like like I just there are just specific panels of Geshit I can think of that just like fill me with a deep sadness just thinking about <laughs> it <laughs> like just the ticks of his like eyebrows the look in his eyes it's and mm-hmm. the anime does get close it tries its best but i i think the thing that the anime the main thing the anime gains is um with the addition of actual voice acting that adds a dimension of humanity to the characters which is not necessarily there in their printed versions what you lose is of course the very disciplined shot to shot to shot paneling of Mm -hmm. the manga which is so important because pluto is effectively a noir it's probably the genre it cleans closest to outside of sci-fi it's like it's a noir detective story and I, I think, you know, the loss of that very strong yeah. author's hand present does diminish it a little. Perhaps. Yeah, I, I did I did mention that that being part of the inspiration, I don't think you get a lot of that in the anime yeah. itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that is a fair yeah. point. Um my personal theory for um why it's as low quote unquote <laughs> as number three. And you know, those of you who I've spoken to before the people on this podcast know this is kind of how I feel about Pluto in general. It's a beautiful, magnificent thing. I think it can be a little hard to love sometimes. I think, to me, Pluto has always been a diamond. You know, it is beautiful. It is perfect. 
it is a little cold and distant sometimes, I think. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, it's hard because if you ask me to say, well, how, how, like, what makes you think that? I don't know. Um, yeah. I, it's I, I, so perfectly constructed that I think it can sometimes feel a little intimidating. And I, I don't even know if that's necessarily a, 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 a negative, really, but right. the... I. We'll, we'll, when we get when we talk about our number one show, yeah. I think that will that will be the contrast that I would strike as to why, you know, I voted for mm-hmm. the number one show mm-hmm. as opposed to this. But um, yeah, I, 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 I agree. It, it, they, they are dealing in, you know, high level concepts a bit more than, you know, down to earth human sort of drama. But um yeah, but but the the way that they are exploring those concepts is clearly one Fantastic. of the best, one of the best versions of this yeah. type this this these themes yeah. that we've ever seen. So, like, you probably don't even need to be told this, right? If you're already the type <laughs> right, of person yeah. who's like, I like stories that examine AI personhood and how that reflects humanity. You've already read Pluto. Like, yeah, let, let's be clear, <laughs> you already have. But if you somehow haven't. Like I mean, it's one of the most. I mean, I, I had <laughs> It is required watching or reading. You know, just just mm-hmm. know this. Yeah, I probably I, think, I probably should I read the manga. But Pluto yes. is a great story, and this is a great adaptation yes. of it. You know, and yeah, you can't I, really ask for much more than that. Yeah. Yeah. Ira, did you have? Did you want to add anything? No, I'm. <laughs> yeah, it, you know if. This is one of those you did, uh, you did write. You did write for it on the post. So I did. Go this is that. one of the. Yeah. I've only read Pluto the manga recently, but my understanding is like this is one of those like anime adaptations that you know people spoke of in hushed tones for years as like it'll never happen, right? <laughs> and so yeah, I, I am shocked that it is a thing that exists, right? And even if the anime, especially like in the middle parts, it sort of becomes a bit workmanlike or like not that impressive as an anime adaptation of, of the story. They made it happen. Yes. (laughs) It got done. Uh, and you know, it, yeah, as has been said, uh, they did as good of a job as they probably could have barring, you know, some of another five years of, uh, of waiting for it. Yeah. I mean, like, it's cool because there are, like, arguably even greater manga out there that will just mm-hmm. never get even, like, a competent treatment, you know? Like, right. the, you can the, say Berserk, G. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> Berserk, all right. Uh-huh, uh-huh, Berserk uh-huh. is never going to get a good anime. It's not, it's not fair. It's not going to happen. Yeah. It's probably not possible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And so, Pluto getting it, like, managing to, like, make that miracle happen at all is yeah. kind of worthy of admiration. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'll say, I'll say as, as the one that did not read the manga, mm-hmm. I would agree with Iro your assessment. Some of it, especially in the middle does feel a little workmanlike, but I didn't feel like there was anything lacking or like that felt like, I don't know, could have been done better in terms of like production wise. Right. Other than maybe, other than maybe some technical things you could nitpick. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But, but like, you know, I didn't feel like, there were, you know, parts of the story that didn't make sense or like the pacing was off or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like it was, you know, they did everything, everything right. So yeah. even without that context, 
I feel like they did a good job. So yeah. I probably should read the manga at some point. It's good. Yeah. We'll get it's to good. That turns out uh, one could say you could read all of the works of Naoki Urasawa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm just not a manga reader usually, but I might mm-hmm. check that out. All right. So Pluto, very good. Mm-hmm. Which leads us to our, our number two show. Yeah. Which I find fascinating because I, I loved Mobile Coming Suit Coming in with the steel chair. Yeah. Also a show I, I, about robot people, kind yeah. of. Yeah. <laughs> I, I loved Mobile Suit Gundam The Witch from Mercury, but I think we all agree it's pretty flawed in the second season yes, in particular, I, which is fascinating to me because... Counter argument. Mm-hmm. Would it be a Gundam show if it was not like fatally flawed in some way? Well, well, to to, re- to recap for everybody, I think broadly our biggest criticism is they did not have enough time to yes. explore the ideas that they had, then that they needed to wrap up in the second second yeah. part of the season, yeah. which was like there was a lot going on, and they just kept yeah more things. So a but, lot of stuff kind of just happens. I think it speaks to how well they nailed the important stuff and how like we how good we feel about this show that it still made it you know in a much different way it does remind me of last year we had Birdie Wing at number 2 which right you know quote unquote objectively not a great show <laughs> <laughs> but we loved it so much I, and uh I think which from Mercury nails the, the important things I want from a Gundam show, which is it has great characters, a fantastic team of characters who I want to spend time with, engaged in an interesting and thought-provoking conflict. Like, that, to me, is the beating heart of yes. any You're saying, show. unlike other mecha anime. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. <laughs> this one is about the giant robots. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I truly, like, I... In all seriousness, I don't mm-hmm. know how anybody can like walk away from Mobile Suit Gundam The Witch for Mercury and still think, okay, here's the thing. Gundam is a toy commercial. It is a glorified toy commercial. We yep, all know this. All. I have, Always was, like, yeah. I have like seven Witch for Mercury kits in my closet, okay? That aside, mm-hmm. I don't know how anybody thinks, oh, Gundam, it's not about the characters after watching The Witch for Mercury, <laughs> which is... You know, maybe really they, they naturally assume that because Witch Mercury is the only one they've seen, that it must be, you know, have some certain elements that uh, none of the other Gundam shows have, like, course, clearly. like compelling characters. But but in all seriousness, I I think, I mean, I, I think, you know, Witch for Mercury is also probably one of those shows that just benefits from, like, nearly everybody on the blog watched it. Like, yes. Yeah. So even if it, it, you know, whether it rates highly or not on one's own individual list, it is probably making a lot of people's top fives. Yeah. Um, but even that is a testament to like some of its unique power, right? Totally. Like, I think that I think that there was enough positive buzz both ahead of release and also as the show continued that people who are not necessarily normally interested in Gundam shows were interested in watching yeah, it. And that's absolutely. a real achievement. Huge yeah. newbie boom for Witch for Mercury, like massive reach past the usual crowds of, yeah like me, me me and aqua never watched gundam and we watched this like and we liked it like right it, it, it yeah it's like i've i've said in the on the podcast before this is like the gundam we need in 2023 right like mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it, it's, it's a more it's a more um 
I, I don't necessarily want to say palatable Gundam, but a more forward-looking Gundam I, than the franchise has been for a while, perhaps. I do think palatable is not necessarily the wrong word. Um, there have been interviews with like Ichiro Okochi and other members of the production <laughs> yeah. who have explicitly said that like when they were producing Witch for Mercury, like before they even started, like they took a long, hard look at Gundam in the rearview mirror and asked themselves... How come nobody gives a fuck about this shit anymore? <laughs> like, no, like, like, literally, they were yeah, like, yeah. How, come, how come only old men care about this show? <laughs> right? Mm. And they really thought about, like, well, what can we do to make it appeal to a younger generation? And all, and usually when you hear that line, in the, in, usually right, you start, right. like... Like the red, the red lights start turning on, right? Yeah. Like, oh, right. Uh-huh. Like you know, you're, you know, we're we're about to get you know Gundam for babies or something, right? Mm-hmm. Which has, I mean, I, I already think been done. SD yeah. Gundam Force. <laughs> and I think there was some fear ahead of the release that, like you know, the whole premise. Oh, it's a set in Gundam school, and right, our first you know, female protagonist, yeah. like all right, that like stuff. Like, and I think it, right. That's what I mean. Like all these things in a vacuum are usually the types of stories I hear about, like, horror story productions, right? Things Mm -hmm. that go, like, terribly off the rails. But I think credit where it's due, they, like, took a hard look at, like, how can we make a Gundam that's more appealing to a younger generation? And I think broadly nailed it. Like, they actually Mm -hmm. did the things that would get, like, people outside of the usual spheres interested. Yeah. They made the character speak like human beings. They made the lead character dance and sing. Did they? Uh, <laughs> yes, I mean, think, More, think about mm. the. Uh, I, I keep I keep thinking about the uh, when they make the the, the, the horrible the commercial, commercial. Yeah, the, the terrible low budget so good. commercial. Like that. That's uh, the kind of thing that feels like it would come directly out of that conversation, right? Like right. Mm-hmm. And that's part of why we love it. Like, I yeah. mean, it, and, it, and I think they used the school setting in a really smart way because they used it to establish the camaraderie and like the teamwork that is an important part of me to me of the Gundam experience, right? Like, you need to have these characters work together and bond together. Yeah. And I think they used they used the school setting as an excuse for that rather than as an excuse for a bunch of tired school yeah. shenanigans. Right. It, it can we it can serve of. as like. Because Gundam must be about war and politics, even even this one. And but the yeah. school allows them to have that in a microcosm right. that's safe enough for the characters to get to know each other without shooting each other simultaneously. Right. Right. Like I, while I while building about... up to the explosion, <laughs> and you know, in yeah. season two. Yes. Like I, I always think about just like. Gundam School is like maybe like <laughs> all right. I'll, okay, let me put it this way: If you told me that the next entry in the Gundam Build franchise uh-huh. had the characters going to Gun Plus School, sure, I'd be they've like, already done that in Build. Like, I'd be like, "Fucking kill me!" Yeah, yeah. Um, it really speaks to how well they actually leverage the idea of that. Like, schools are a part of societies as well, and. Mm-hmm. In many ways, because they are where children congregate, they are like a pressure cooker yeah. of and Gundam, society's like values and aims. Yeah. And Gundam has always been a show about young people growing up into adults, right? Right. Like that being shaped by the forces of the world around them. Yeah. Like, 
as goofy as Gundam School is, it makes you take a step back and go, what kind of fucking society makes a Gundam School? <laughs> and yeah. it turns out a not a very that good one. Robots are really yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Uh, like you know, even just like like I think about some of those early episodes where it's just like fucking like on one hand on, on one level the the story is just is just children being dicks to each other but on a deeper level it's like where did these like discriminations arise from right and yeah. it like weaves that into the like it weaves the stuff happening in the setting into the school in such an organic way that you know, again, I, I think we all wish this show had like maybe another twelve episode core at the very least because I, I think um, it helps as well that this particular installment focuses more on corporate politics rather than actual geopolitics for the most part because it's hard to weave that like the machinations of nation states into the school setting. It feels a little bit more realistic that you know the Gundam school represents the warring ground of these large corporation factions you know i think that is a a sympathetic choice in terms of the political setup for this show right and i think um again that's a much more modern type of conflict i mean at least when this show aired apparently we have now taken on several other (laughs) geopolitical conflicts since then but uh not to laugh at that but um that you know it starts out with people holding up signs saying "Space capitalism killed my son" or whatever. Right? Like yeah. it's, it, you know yeah. that, that that's that's a that's a, another topic that is you know feels a lot more relevant now in our present time than ever. But uh, yeah, and it's I think because of that, it's a shame that the whole corporate skullduggery thing I think is kind of one of the weaker parts of the show. Actually, I think that there's. There's a lot of stuff happening, but not a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, know, I mean that 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 got undercooked. Like I felt like it started off okay and kind of got undercooked over time. Yeah. Part of the the rush of season two. But... I, I think you know I wrote about this a little bit in my end of year piece, but I think one of the disadvantages of having this by Gundam standards limited amount of runtime and choosing to focus so extensively on the characters is that you then sacrifice a certain amount of plot and world building yeah. stuff. Yeah. Something you know, had and, to give. Yeah. And so that means that the the back half of the show kind of is fairly weak, which again, not a thing unheard of in Gundam shows. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say. <laughs> <laughs> but, but necessarily, you know, it feels a little rushed and, and the stakes do not necessarily feel as high as some of the best super uh, real robot shows out there, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. yeah. Right. I, I think it you know it it speaks to like, like in many ways, right? This is probably well. Okay, let me let me look at our top ten again. I was like, is this the most flawed show on this list? <laughs> like, no, maybe uh, maybe in the Birdie Wing, like maybe Birdie Wing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't say of the whole list. Maybe in the but, top three, but uh, <laughs> yeah. top three most like top three hottest mess of twenty twenty three. Yeah. But uh, but I think it speaks to just yeah. At, at the end of the day, how deeply likable this show is. I mean, we all remember celebrating Soleta Sundays. Um, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. just each week asking if those two crazy kids were going to make it <laughs> in this messed up yeah. world. Like, 
you know, for remember for... how remember how there was like a solid couple of months of memes with giant hands crushing people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Always bad. Yeah. Well, the, the memes that came out of this series were amazing. Just mm-hmm. fucking watching all the remixes of just Choo Choo knocking that one girl out. Um, yeah. yeah. Or, yeah. or having to explain how her hair works. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, I, I think, yes, all like the production team drawing like diagrams of how she puts helmets on and stuff yeah. like that. And the thing is, like, and, and this is like a dangerously like subjective thing to say, but I think the ideal Gundam show is kind of a hot mess, right? I think all the greatest Gundam shows are like messy, kind of all over the shop very personal stories and like yes i had problems Mm -hmm. with the ending yes i had problems with the structure i think i was one of the people who was more militantly down on the ending really but i loved these characters i wanted to see them do crazy shit and they did and i think that's the real most important part there you know yeah yeah so this were you you gonna say Mm -hmm. something this this show makes uh itro kochi like far and away the person who has shown up the most on our top tens, also ac- that. <laughs> across the history of the blog, like Ichiro. he also did Spider-Man season two. It was screen screenplay on that, even though it's a manga yeah. adaptation. Like uh, he wrote a uh, Lupin Part Five. Yep, Government Crybaby, Princess yeah. Principal. <laughs> he he's he's uh he's, he's got, got the golden touch. touch. He's, he's got he's got quite a career. Let's put it that way. Indeed, uh, he is uh. <laughs> Ichiro Kochi is not a man I would ever be insane enough to claim has never missed. Oh, he has missed many times. times like a but, he has, but he has hit a lot, too. Mm-hmm. He swings with his whole life on the line every time. If you shoot at the moon and miss, you'll still hit right. the stars. I guess the base... I just, if, if we're using the baseball analogy, it's like he has a 200 batting average, but he hits 50 home runs every... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just... Last thing... I wish they told us what happened to Bob. What happened to that guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah never saw him again. Construction it's worker. Weird. So yeah. weird. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. shout outs, shout outs to shout outs to the Guel redemption story. Not, mm-hmm. not a plot line I thought I'd be so deeply compelled by. You know, when <laughs> yeah. I watched the first episode of that show. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, one of one of the, I'll just I'll just for my final thing, like one of the factors that I goes into like my favorite shows of the year is like what are the shows that I was like excited to watch like right away when they came out like I knew what time (laughs) I knew what time (laughs) was coming out and if I was available I was going to sit down and watch it and this was one of them so right um, yeah and and just even even as crazy as it was we ended up in the place we wanted those crazy kids made it yeah, and, and they're canonically married again. Or they so. are oh, right, canonically yeah. married so. <laughs> again. So uh, uh-huh. it seems Bandai still can't quite seem to decide. But yeah, the uh, the staff that works on the show has made their opinions on it. Clear, yes. So yeah, they've mm-hmm. made their decisions from day one on that. So all right, at number one, let's talk about Vinland Saga season two. Um, we took so you guys. This is interesting because you guys watched it when it actually came out. I did not watch it until last month. Basically, I marathoned through most of it. Um, I kind of wish I had watched it at that time because I would have probably would have been talk talk more in depth. But I hadn't even watched season one at that point, so like it was just not going to happen. Um, 
so th- this, of course, Vinland Saga is Vikings. <laughs> but, but, oh yeah, just Vikings. Oh, yeah. Just Vikings. But they, but they take, I'm informed that Vikings are problematic. Mm, they they take they take the you know all the well, the good, violence. Good news, Zig. Mm-hmm. That's also Vinland Saga's thesis. Yeah, yeah, you know they, they take they take all the 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 violence and the you know let's just say toxic masculinity that come along with uh, the concept of Vikings that make Rigo say "Wow, cool Vikings," and they say um, that among other things is bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, this sucks. Actually, yeah. it's it's terrible, and uh, you know, killing people. Uh, trying attempting to own them slavery all that is bad uh which you know you'd think we would not have to say but um well i I think yeah it's go ahead go ahead g i think what vinland saga does so effectively right is look vinland saga is not the first war is bad story right it is you know it is it Mm -hmm. most certainly it's not not. the first war is bad story on this list (laughs) (laughs) right i think Vinland Saga, what 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 where it really shines is in the time it takes to examine these thoughts, these ideas through its viewpoint character of Thorfinn. Mm-hmm. I I truly believe that a story like Vinland, Vinland Saga does not get to exist without requiring forty eight episodes, twenty four of which are fairly grim but also high octane vi- viking violence action and then immediately contrasting that with another 24 episodes of just some of the grimmest examinations of the human condition i think i've seen in anime <laughs> yeah so so the, the 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 big sort of bold move of inland saga is season 1 is Viking warfare, people fighting in a lot of extreme violence, and yeah, you know, this the show is always telling you that this is bad, but it is going on through the most of season one, right? The, the themes that eventually and become fully so realized in season are two. Are you saying that season one is wow, cool Viking, and season two is yeah, bad. That, that's like extremely reductive, <laughs> but I mean, kind of, but. I would not like I, I try not to ever pretend that like oh season one's no good don't bother with it like I think season one is a pretty good story unto itself it is a, yeah it's a, it is a revenge story like it, mm-hmm. and, if, and if you're what? and if you're reading the very obvious theme but yes. apparently some people still miss it of <laughs> season one uh it's clear where they're going with it and season yes. two should not be a shock. I do think it is a bit of a shock in how hard they commit to right. going to what we what what we what we lovingly call farmland saga. Some people don't call it that, <laughs> but it's uh you know complete different direct it almost feels like a different show in season yeah. two. Uh where, you know, Thorfinn has left his Viking life and he is now a slave on a farm, right? And the it's it's a very bold move because a lot of people, you know, I, I think I think from what I've seen, most people broadly enjoyed it and understood what was going on. But a lot of people didn't like they they were there for they fell for the wow, cool Viking. Right. And mm-hmm. um, 
that kind of annoys me to see that. But season two, though, is where they really hammer down um, what they've been trying to say. You know, the author's real hatred of violence. And it's not just like war is bad. It's like um, I, I mentioned this. I The one the one bit I did get to write about this was in my like top moments post, because one of right. my top moments was um the bit where you know in season two they're you know enslaver or you know owner if we want to say that uh Mm -hmm. it kind of reveals his true most most of the show he's shown to be sort of like a more relatively nice slave yeah i don't i I don't i'm not going to use the word sympathetic but he's like he 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 seems to be has a a kindness to him that you know you would would not expect from an enslaver and and in the context of a story and history he is a quote unquote <laughs> yeah. good slave owner. Right. Like and this is the thing that like Vinland Saga plays with with Kettle is like he has no legal obligation to be nice to his slaves. He, mm-hmm. at, at least when he is feeling benevolent, he chooses to be benevolent. <laughs> when when it doesn't yeah. when it doesn't um when it either benefits him or doesn't like Incon- does not inconvenience line, him. Yeah. Does not inconvenience him. Then yes, he, he when it when it's not going to affect him, he has no problem right. kind of being nice to people, and that that is, that is better than what a lot of the people we've seen, which is kind of what they're getting at, though, because when they do kind of when he does kind of show his true colors, it like in, unravels this. They're they're not just getting into war is bad. They're getting into the 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 like actual the mindset, the ego, the mm-hmm. the you know, the, 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 the societal pressure for men to be, you know, big and strong and violent and, and, you know, take charge of what's theirs and not let anybody take what belongs to them and the entitlement with all that, like all those things are explored. So it's not just, okay, yes, we know killing people is bad. Like that's easy. But also these spiritual and material conditions that lead to people killing people are also bad. Right. Yes. But yes. Saga posits that war is just a symptom. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. That's kind of what I'm getting at, right? Yeah. It gets into like r- the real problems of like what is underlying with why these people are like this. And it does it in very human stories mm-hmm. that you know, I I'll I if we're if we're going to uh, so I'll come back around I was talking about why I voted for this over Pluto. Um this show had me almost openly weeping at some points. <laughs> like mm. there was uh, a level of like humanity to it. That was a lot closer to home than, you know, again, Pluto's great. I'm not, I'm not knocking Pluto on this. I'm just saying for me, right. Of course the, yeah. you know, that is a more sort of high level abstract sort of exploration. There are some, well, there, and there are some powerful, distance. there are some powerful emotion moments in Pluto for sure. But like, Generally, those characters are concepts, right? right. And Vinland Saga seems very down in the blood and dirt, yes, this is extremely know? into the dirt, like from the bottom looking up. Yeah, yeah. Like, and th- it makes it extremely powerful. Um, yeah. The I mean, it, know, it speaks to like this show that like I can imagine some of the scenes and characters you're probably thinking about, but I can't even nail the specific one because there are so many moments in Vinland Saga that just like, mm-hmm. 
again, yeah, I guess kind of similarly to Pluto, like plumb the depths of the human condition, but do so from like such a deeply personal angle. Like, I mean, like most of the. I mean, basically the entire Arnate arc, right? Like, the Arnate arc is fucking soul crushing. It's. Like, you know, for, for context, like, in, in this show, uh, Thorfinn meets a female slave named Arnhaid, and whereas Thorfinn has the option to eventually work off his his debt and thus buy his freedom, Arnhaid is a young woman in a medieval society. She is going to be a slave for the rest of her life. And the one, the one time in this story where she is given a potential out it becomes like the greatest tragedy of her life and it goes very badly and yeah it's so raw and like i mean all all the like Mm -hmm. you know like um you know i i do want to give a shout out to einar as well like thorfinn's like friend you know the friend he makes Mm -hmm. uh in in this story who is like you know he, he doesn't really get the biggest moments in this story but like i really do love what einar brings to thorfinn as a character like yeah. Einar is yeah. not a warrior. He's not like he's just a guy, right? He's like just he... a guy, <laughs> yeah. <you know? laughs> and he's just trying which, so which fucking I, hard. Which, for context, we this is coming off of season one where everyone is like a superhero Viking that can yes. you know throw an axe mm-hmm. uh, three hundred feet and and chop somebody's you know split somebody's head right. like on a like, on a boat a hundred meters you know out you or know, something the, and season one has an episode in which Askeladd orders his like viking crew to just slaughter a whole village of people like einar like right yeah <laughs> it's and and, and he, it's not like he's like you know quote unquote weak or anything but he's just a guy right like he's, yes. he doesn't know he can't fight or anything you know he's and, you know and I think, yeah. like, in many ways, that is what, like, Vinland mm. Saga is, like, trying to, like, try show the triumph of the strength of the meek in many ways, yeah. right? Like that, you know, in a world this cruel, this oppressive, like, someone has to take that first step, right? Someone has to begin asking the question, mm. it can't be like this. And that character's Einar. Like, like Einar is the one who like incepts the idea of pacifism into Thorfinn. Like, incepts the idea that there must be a better world than this. Like, mm-hmm. Einar is the one who inspires Thorfinn to seek Vinland. And yeah. uh, I mean, you know, I, and I, then I, that, that, like I think that's that's in this show. It's so yeah. Good. I think I think that's important because while we are describing some very like heavy and like just evil things going on right like mm-hmm. there there it, it i never felt like it was like being too dour or hopeless right like we're not just we're not just saying that people are terrible for the sake of saying people are terrible right there is this line of of, of hope and humanity yeah. where 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 thorfinn meets yeah he meets a lot of bad people but he also meets people who are also trying to do their best and willing to help him out right and yeah. the system um, can be broken <laughs> and and even if it can't it's worth it's at least worth you know doing what you can to trying mm, yeah. trying yeah. right like um because we know we know thorfinn is not going to succeed in his goal because we know <laughs> th- we know history right but uh-huh. it's you know it, it never feels like totally soul crushing or hopeless because you know you, yeah. you feel like he's doing the right thing and 
yeah, I don't know. This this show just made me mm-hmm. feel things, man. At the end of the day, that <laughs> I, 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 you know, it's the highest endorsement that can possibly be given. <laughs> Put that on the back of the box. Yeah, this show gonna... made me feel things. Yeah, that was like the second yeah. anime I get quoted on the back of the box. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Iro, you, you were gonna say? Yeah, as you note in like the top ten post G, and as we briefly touched on earlier, like this is what you can get out of something that's willing to like take the slow burn, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, over two whole seasons and tonal shifts and uh, you know it takes a time to like build up the ideas in season one build up Thorfinn tear him down <laughs> and spend yeah. that time of like, it, it lends so much more humanity and depth to these sorts of situations when it is it has spent the time to allow him to put the pieces back together, it, right? It, is, it has put the work in. I I think, in many ways, Villain Saga reminds me that, like, this is kind of the only way to do redemption stories right. Mm. Like, like I, I very rarely empathize with redemption stories in a lot of, like, Japanese fiction yeah. when they happen too quickly. Like... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's Vinland Saga and it's Onani Masakura Saga. Those are the two. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. In, all, in all seriousness. Yep. Like, yep. Thorfinn earns his, like, I think, hell, even pacifism, right? Even, like, mm-hmm. like Thorfinn's big moment at the end of season two, when he is beaten and bloody and bruised, like, he barely even looks human. Yeah. Proudly declares to King Canute, I have no enemies. And... That hits because Thorfinn has spent the last 23 episodes thinking about what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Like, what is an enemy? Like, who exists in this world that it is, like, worth committing violence upon? Like, is there is there such a thing as righteous violence? Right. And then, like, and- that... Him working through those things has weight because the first, the 24 episodes before that is just him killing people repeatedly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just fucking yes. human blendering people. Yeah, it's, it's. Yeah. Right, but like, I, I think a lot of, and this isn't just animated fiction in general, a lot of redemption arcs ring hollow because we don't see the truly heinous shit that the person who is trying to be redeemed has done, right? Whereas yeah. here, we see that, like, oh. Yeah. Like our dude has done some bad, bad things, and they never and they never make excuses for what Thorfinn did. Like, there's no like right. ever like in, when we're talking about redemption, it's more of his personal growth, not like oh you're forgiven for the things that you did. No, he always right. has to carry that weight, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yes, and, and like a lot that, that's of, the whole point of like his dream sequence with Askeladd. He will never he like, will never be forgiven, like, right? So like. I think that's an important part too, because I feel like a lot of weak redemption stories are like, oh, well, he did this because he was trying to save his six sister mm-hmm. or something, right? Like that, those kind of plot lines. Right, right, and like, right. oh, well, maybe. Or just now he feels bad about it. Uh, yeah, well, he feels bad about it, so it's okay. Evil. Right. Yeah, and it's like, no, no, what he did was was wrong. Like, there was no question, and he's going to have to live with that for the rest of his life, but it doesn't also doesn't mean he can't be a better person, right? And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's just so good. Uh, you know, again, you know, could they have told this story without in less time? Probably, and other shows probably would attempt that. But the fact that they did give everything the time that it needed really makes it hit hard. Yeah. When you know they get to the the big the big moments, I mean, really, the only 
somewhat weak points for me where like the commute stuff was a little weak to me, but like his whole transformation and everything, but he's also not like, I mean, he gets a couple episodes, but he's not like that big of a presence in the grand picture of things, but right. I think um, Knut more exists to serve as like a mirror to Thorfinn's growth where Knut in season one is a very kind, soft man, right? Like he is, Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you you get those flashbacks to his childhood. You see him as he is in season one, and in the same way that like Vinland Saga says, this is like takes Canute and says, this is what so- this society turns a good man into. Right? It turns them into King Canute. Yeah, you know, a right. a warmonger, essentially a conqueror, maybe one of the better conquerors in history. You know, if we're grading on a scale, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, still someone who fundamentally believes that violence is the most politically expedient way to achieve a better yeah. world. Yeah. And, and and like them- thematically, that makes sense. I just think the execution of how he got there was kind of you know some anakin skywalker vibes but <laughs> the, damn uh, not, not that bad but kind of in that, of liking sand <laughs> yeah the, uh you know but th- th- that was but again you know that that's i don't feel like that really detracted from anything that was just kind of my one right maybe criticism but um yeah, just uh, just a really really great show. Um, and the only other thing I would say is I, I think you do need to be in the right mindset to watch this. Like, I, I, mm-hmm. I it's really unfortunate that I had to force myself to marathon this to make it in time because <laughs> yeah. yeah. watching I mean, watching like ten episodes of Midland Saga season two in a row is not right? yeah. not good for your mental state. Oh, sounds <laughs> so frustrating. Yeah. yeah, but I, I think you know all truly great pieces of media demand that. You know they take a lot out of you. Um, yeah. You 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 have to put a lot of yourself in, and you get out whatever yeah. you get out. You know, but um, but yeah, you know, just hearing you guys describe it conveys some of like the power and the strength of the emotion behind it. And you know, it's it's no matter how I feel about the other shows, it's very hard to argue with the kind of thing that you guys are talking about. Yeah, it's good. And, and you know we and we will we'll never have to see any more Vinland Saga after this. Oh yeah, no story's over. I, oh no, is it, is it one of those situations? Where <laughs> oh well, it's. I'll put it this way: like, it's not as bad as Promise Neverland, right? No, it's just that Vinland. I think like what has been covered in the Vinland Saga anime, I believe, is the story Makoto Yukimura likely set out to write when he first started writing Vinland Saga, yeah. and. Thus, it is this, like, perfectly crafted artifice, like, from start to finish. You can mm-hmm. feel, ah, this is yeah. what he was building up towards. We come and I'm enti- I mean, yeah. I'm entirely satisfied. I, I don't want to watch more. Yeah. Like, I'm entirely ah, satisfied. I, 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 we come full circle like, to Thorfinn telling a dying slave about the about Vinland, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, that is literally how yes the season ends in a ways, right? It's just reflecting the actions of his father. Um but yeah, I, I yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I I think, I I think if if this is all we ever get of Vinland Saga, like, this will still have been a perfectly told story. Um, yeah, I I I think it's fine that the story ends, like, on a hopeful message 
without necessarily a payoff on that. Like I, in many ways, I truly do believe like that. That is what makes Vinland Saga stand out from you know again when we were talking about Heavenly Delusion, like why we kind of pass on the grimmer like post-apocalypse stories, right? Like yeah, like Vinland Saga is a grim story, but it is not one bereft of hope, right? In fact. You know, as I kind of write, Villain Saga almost kind of dares you to hope for a better world in spite of everything, right? Like mm-hmm. it's that—that's kind of its core message: is that the world might be a pretty bad place, but someone has to do the work, and yeah. I think that's kind of what—it's not going to get any better if we don't try. And exactly, even if, even, and we, you know, even if you don't succeed, like it's. It, you gotta do somebody's gotta do something <laughs> like yeah, and, and i so. think that is what keeps it from fully falling into the darkness again watching 10 episodes in a row would probably be <laughs> quite emotionally try but i think the payoff you get at the end of it is yeah. is what justifies it yeah it's very good all right so that's gonna do it for this list and for 2023 anime mm-hmm. uh, we are Moving on, we've already as of as of recording, we already have first looks out for twenty twenty four. So yep. you know, there's a whole new year of exciting isekai. To <laughs> well, we'll save that for next time. Uh, that, that that's going to do it for this podcast. So we'll do our housekeeping. You can check us out at theglorioblog.com. Uh, go read the original top ten post where we've got everybody else on on there writing you know, their opinions, especially on those shows that we did not watch. So uh, go check that out. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at the Gloria blog and on co-host at Glorio. I did want to shout out our, uh, our good friend and part of the Glorio extended uh, family, uh, Ben for writing a very nice post about us on co-host. Uh, yeah. So Thank go, you, ben. go, Thanks, ben. go, um, go check out their, uh, is it a podcast or more of a playthrough yeah. or uh, you know uh, Ben uh, is doing a podcast uh, about the Ace Attorney series with uh, two longtime fans and two newcomers to the series and they including are you most of the time uh, right uh, I'm not on the Some podcast the I'm on the, not on the podcast the video part, recordings but on, the, on the recordings yeah and they are most of the way through the series by now they are currently they're doing the DLC case of Ace Attorney five. Uh, the so yeah. Yeah, the updated uh, it's autopsy called, report podcast yeah. yeah it's called updated autopsy report and you can you can follow uh ben on co-host at yotsu ben mm-hmm. yo, like yotsuba but yotsu ben uh and i think i think that's friend of the site i think that's their their handle on most sites right and then yeah. uh I, it's cool for updated officer report. I see they got Ace, at Ace Attorney. Yes, <laughs> on co-host. Wait, really? That's pretty, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> oh, so. domain squatting. They're going to be in for a fortune. Yeah, yeah so goes up to be the next big thing. Updated autopsy dot report also and yes, so, uh, yeah, yeah, for so. the link. But on, on co-host, it's at Ace Attorney, which is pretty great. So go check that out. Um, and yeah, as far as us, uh, the podcast, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play. Spotify, Amazon Music, Podbean, Stitcher, and of course YouTube, where you can like, comment, subscribe. Uh, you know, ring that notification bell. It probably helps us more these days to either leave us a review on one of those places or or comment and like on YouTube at this point. So, as yeah. far as the podcast goes, so please do that. Uh, and yeah, tell tell your friends, tell your enemies. 
and uh, catch up for next time. Peace. <laughs>